All right. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us. We are excited to be in the house of the Lord today. It's a pretty, pretty day out here, sun out here, and uh, it's good to see everybody gathered together as well as have you online as we continue, wait, as we conclude our second Peter series. How many of you have joined us through the first and second Peter now? And here we are on the concluding chapter. And there's only three chapters in second Peter. So if you're like, hey, that went kind of fast. Well, that, that was what I got to work with. And so it's been a great series so far. I pray it's uh, really blessed you. And I pray as we concluded today, whether you have your journals here or not, um, you can uh, work through a lot of the great text that we're going to be working through today. And, and hey, read Jude. I know Jude is in your journal, so you can read that on your own. Study that out. Um, I don't have have that planned out yet, but maybe one day. So, so keep that, keep that fresh as we continue our hike today. We're resolved down the road less traveled. And isn't it interesting how Peter is really beginning to comfort his church and, and not only comfort them in that warm pastoral tone we've been talking about about First Peter, but now we really see him like kind of going, "Hey." resolve. And a lot of times when we hear resolve, we think try harder. But Peter's more hold on. Hold on to what? Hold on to the promises. And so we began each message kind of referencing um, a computer illustration to kind of keep us in that mode so that when we see these coming up, or should I say a tech illustration? And, and so some of the ones, let's do this. We remember Peter is a reminder type preacher. Let's look at some of the things we've been talking about. One, okay, promises. Dead battery, plug into the promises. There's power in the promises. Week two, the plan, V-K-S-S-G-B-L, very kingly, super salads, get big lettuce. It's not really what I wanted you to remember. <laughs> Virtue, who knows K? Don't you want to say Kindness. Don't you want to? The fruit of the Spirit. It's knowledge, okay? S, self-control. S, steadfastness. G, goodness. No, no, godliness. And then brotherly affection and, of course, love. Add that to your faith. Peter says, I don't want you just to come to know Christ as your Savior, although that's great. Add to your faith. Are you growing spiritually right now? Which one of those letters could you use a little bit more of? And then provision. You've been getting everything you need for life and godliness through the word of God. Let that serve as your filter. We had some people changing their filters. Sometimes we need to update our filters. But this reminded us why some people just reject the truth of scripture because they have a filter up. I don't believe it. In order to get through there, we need the word of God that can cut through because it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And then last week, protection from scam artists. And I don't know if we, anybody caught a scam this week, but watch out for false teaching. We need protection from that. And so today, today we're gonna use this as our last image. And when I show it to you, it's gonna stir in some of you, especially how many of you lack patience with technology? You go from really godly to really worldly in, in seconds, right? When, when technology doesn't behave the way it should. So this one's gonna bother you. Any gamers where you gotta where you gotta do some of this stuff and you gotta take and wait, you got a new game and it's gonna take forever to this. Look at oh oh man, doesn't that hurt to look at? And you ever notice like sometimes it stops and then it moves slowly and then stops and you wonder if it's moving at all and then you wonder if it's broken. How many of you the second something buffers you closed out you're done? I'm not buffering. I refuse to buffer. 
I will not wait, right? I, I could put the buffer symbol up, but that would really make us frustrated. But, but we wait for things to download. Kids, you ever get a new game and it's got to download onto the hard drive of your... Uh, and, and hey, technology is getting so much faster now. We're downloading. It seems to be occurring faster than ever where we can at least see the bar move. But have you ever started a download and it says 10 hours and then a second later, it's four hours? And you're like, come on, get some consistency here. And before you know it, it's 40 minutes. Wait, I might just stick around to see if it's five. Things are downloading so much faster now than they used to. But I want to tell you something. Young people and college students, you just listen up. You're going to hear wisdom today from the pulpit. Back in the 1900s when I grew up, (laughs) we didn't have all these fast speeds, okay? We didn't have all this good stuff. And we used to have to go get an internet resource at college. And so we'd have to go to the internet room or the internet cafe that made it sound more fun, I think. And so you couldn't just have your library books. You couldn't have just your classroom books. You had to have an internet source. And so we go to this stupid thing called internet, like anybody's going to use this in the future. We turn on our computers and this is what we would hear. Who's it, who is this speaking to? Oh, how many of you remember that? All right. And we'd wait, and we'd wait, and we'd wait. And it would sometimes go through and sometimes it wouldn't. Be, ah, I got internet. Okay. And, and we'd celebrate that. Now, now, now it's like, mom, the internet in the house isn't working fast enough. You know, I mean, we got 5k, all this stuff, you know, I used to have hair before all the technology in our house, you know, and, 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 and like all these things going on, we have no idea about, but technology is so much faster, so much smoother, but, but we can all know what it feels like to watch something load. You know, what's interesting though, spiritually speaking, It seems that this is Peter's perspective of time. Now stay with me for a second. It seems as if Peter wants the church to look at time like that. For example, there was a beginning and there's an end. It had a start and God worked in that start. He created. There's a present And then there is a future. And Peter seems to know how the future ends. And so he looks at time like it's loading. Because he seems to have a grasp that God exists outside of time. And views the things of this world as having a start and having a finish before eternity fully is realized. And with that view, you could argue where we are on the bar from the time God began it to the time when he will end this part of earth and there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Where is that time period? How can I have this mindset? Because things take time. And I want to be a person that respects the time, understands the times, and lives with that perspective. I want to give you a little, I'm going to open the back door to, to our church for a second. Some of you remember, some of you remember the Echo Holy series, okay? I want to show you just one rendering our video team did 
okay, that they had to get downloaded. You recall this. Go ahead and show it behind me. You remember this? And, and, and I will go in sometimes and I'll talk to our tech director and our videographer director, Kent Groover, and I'll say, hey, like, can we have the thing like come out of Echo Holy or go into it? Like have one part go in and one part go out. And sometimes he doesn't appreciate when I come in the room, <laughs> even though we're dear friends, because he knows what I'm coming with. He goes, well, Chris, honestly, I could do that. But that took 12 hours over three days to render fully. Now, Please understand, he's not sitting there for 12 hours, three days looking. He said, it takes time to look, render in the background. So after I create the image, it needs time to render. And so what sometimes, and you can see the production level of communications is sometimes delayed because of rendering time. And it takes patience to let it out. And what seems like a no big deal to me, it should have already happened. He's going, this takes some time. And the opposite is true. That probably took forever, right? Actually, no, I got that done in like one second. Just loads up right away. So, so I think it's important for us to have this view, especially as we open up the last chapter that Peter is gonna be talking about the last days. And these last days, are we close? Is the bar almost full for our time on this current earth as we wait the new heavens and new earth. Let's read in 2 Peter chapter 3, the perspective we are to have as the download, if you will, if you will, is filling up. Heavenly Father, use this text today to encourage us, inspire us, but I really think Peter wants us to change and make sure we have the right perspective. That when God says he's gonna do something, if he did it in the past, that means he's doing it in the present and he will do it in the future. God, your servant Peter was so determined to remind his believers that were listening to him how important it was for them to hold on to the promise. And there seems to be a promise that we can't lose hold of if we're going to properly live, especially if we are the generation that is in those very last days. We pray these things knowing you're faithful. We pray these things knowing we see many of the signs of the time and praying also, Lord, that we will be responsible with how we live if that download is almost done. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you got your Bibles or your journals, it's chapter three, Second Peter. And he starts by saying, this is now the second letter that I'm writing you, beloved. Oh, I love you, but this is the second one. And in both of them, I am stirring you up, our sincere mind, by way of what? Reminder, reminder, reminder. I am stirring you up. You can circle that if you got your journals. Put arouse, to wake up, to arouse, to, to take someone who is sluggish and wake them up. It carries the idea of, wake up! Now let's look around the room real quick and see who needed that real quick here. Now you know what falling asleep looks like in church. It begins like with a head bob, right? And see, now if you fall asleep, I don't take it personally. I figure you came in here, it's comfortable in here, and you needed a break from a long week. So you go ahead and crash. But make sure you're not around college students or middle school students while you're doing it. I'm just telling you, bad things happen to good people when you're around the wrong crowd falling asleep. I can think of a situation when I was in college. I was not the author of this prank. I've shared this with the church before, but if you're newer with us, maybe you haven't heard it. 
I went to a Bible college. I graduated Penridge High School, went to a Bible college um, to, to study, to go into ministry. And it really shocked me. The teachers, students, the teachers prayed for us before tests. I was like, what? You're praying for me? Then why are you punishing me with this test? If you're going to pray for me, you know, but I was blown away by that. But I was also encouraged that they would take the time to pray for us. So it was not uncommon, especially at a Bible college, for somebody to pray for class, okay? During class or before a test or a quiz, um, or the teacher would begin class, and sometimes the students would pray. Well, this specific class, it was getting long, it was getting warm, and people were getting tired. Because, you know, you have really good sleep patterns in college, Right? And one of the guys in the class, he was doing the whole, you know, the arm on the head. You know that one? And he's like, he's out. Well, you know what the guy did next to him? Hey, teacher told you to pray. What? What? Yeah, stand up, pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. <laughs> and, 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 he, and, and now the class, even the girls who weren't really in awe are like, oh my gosh, you guys did not do that. And it was like, <laughs> the teacher's like, seeing the class's reaction. And so this guy goes on and he's really flowering it up, you know? I mean, Lord, Lord, just thank you for our teacher, Lord. You know, and he's like, he stops. He sees everybody now is smirking and, and laughing. And he looked at the teacher. He looked at the guys around him. I didn't get asked to pray, did I? No, and everybody's laughing. Oh man, you play jokes on people falling asleep, especially in college. I joke with my older son about some of the stuff he said, Dad, Dad, we would go to jail now for some of the stuff you guys did. My, one time we pulled up, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just have a little bit of fun for a second. We, there was a tractor trailer at a stop, okay, at a road stop, and we were driving along. This is my buddy in the front of the car fell asleep, and my buddy in the back says, hey, let's act like we're hitting a tractor trailer and scream and stuff. I'm like, okay. So we pull in. We pull into this gas stop, and the tractor trailer's sitting there. So we pull up to the parking lot, looking at the tractor trailer. Don't try this at home, kids. And we're like, okay, you ready? Yeah, yeah, ready, ready. And so I just drove forward and I stop and I go, ah, and I hit the horn. Ah, and my buddy goes around, ah, he wakes up. Oh, I mean, his face, his face. I mean, you almost felt bad. You ever scare somebody so bad? You're like, I'm sorry, man. He was like, oh, he sunk down in the chair. Oh, oh. Peter says, don't. Fall asleep on this. I'm going to stir you up as a way of reminder. And I want to appeal to your sincere mind. All the folks in here who love a little deeper study of scripture, circle sincere. The word comes from a Latin word, sincera, which can mean without wax. What? What? Let's bring in some historical background to that, right? Without wax, what's that talking about? See, see, now in the time of Peter, one of the things pottery salesmen did, if there was cracks in the pottery, they wanted to sell it at full price. So they would take wax and they put it into the cracks. Oh, so gorgeous, right? And so the word sincere in its Latin root means, ready? Without wax. So, so without anything that is not complete and authentic, I want to stir up in you, in your authentic and sincere mind, 
And, and the idea what they would do is they'd hold the pottery to find out if this has been done. If wax has been put in, they take the pottery. Ever, ever give a big bill to somebody in the register? They go like this and hold it up to the light. They would take the pottery and hold it up to the sun. And if it showed any cracks in it, it is not sun judged. That's what it was called. Sun judged. Peter goes, I want to talk to you and I want to appeal to the authentic person of not only who you are, but, but I want to wake up in you and I want to remind you of how important this is that you should remember, he continues, the predictions of the holy prophets and then the commandments of the Lord, Savior, through your apostles. I want to remind you of the predictions of the holy prophets, of how they predicted what? The Messiah. They predicted how Jesus would come. They predicted Bethlehem. They've also predicted how this earth will end. And Peter's big on, if they weren't wrong last time, what makes you think they won't be right about what they say will occur in the last days here on earth? Reminders. Peter, you love reminders. And I started thinking, what is an object that we all would look at and say, oh, that's a tool of reminder? And I was working through this and thinking through what, what would be the thing that we use to remind us? We set alarms, we do all this. And then this came to mind. And I'm, I'm gonna hold it up. If you're listening, you might not see it, but, but I'm gonna say what it is. Has anybody seen this before? I mean, why do you use these? To remind you, to make sure you do it today. I'm holding up post-it notes. How about you hold it up the right way, Chris? Post-it notes. This has become so much part of our society. It's kind of the equivalent of a paperclip. Even if another brand makes it, you call it a sticky note or a post-it note. Why? Because this has become such a massive part of our society. How many of you have a computer? or a desk at home with these everywhere? How many of you have a Bible that might look like that, right, underneath it? How many of us leverage these sticky notes because they're great! They stick to things and don't wreck what they stuck to. I mean, that was the problem. I mean, if I glue this to my Bible, I got problems. But these sticky notes are great. I don't wreck the pages. And so sticky notes took off. Do you know the history behind it? Was anybody reading about them this week? Okay, just me. I checked it out. They're not that old. They're only from the 80s, okay? So they're not that long that they've been out there. But uh, Dr. Silver, he worked at 3M. You ever hear of that company? He invented the stickiness, or what he called microspheres, that, that would able to stick something. But it wasn't until Art Fry, another engineer at 3M, listening to his presentation, who was having trouble. See, he, he played music and he would mark up his hymn book at church. And what would happen is he would use cards in there and they'd fall out. And by Sunday, he wouldn't know where he marked it. And he wanted something that he could stick in there, but it wouldn't wreck his hymn book. And he was listening to these microspheres and this presentation. And he went, and they created post-it notes. They made a little money doing it because people use them all the time. They're reminders. It's as if Peter wants to make sure if I'm dying, and he thought he did, I want to leave behind some things to remind you. 
What, Peter? Um, You're getting me kind of nervous. What should we be reminded of? Know this, he says. First of all, that means preeminence. Scoffers are going to come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. The closer you get to the end times, the more people are going to mock the things of God. They won't even just be like, oh, that's a nice truth. They'll actually make fun of it. Don't be surprised, college student, that more and more people who claim to have knowledge, which knowledge does what? Puffs up, right? The knowledge of God should humble us. But knowledge puffs up, the apostle Paul told me. It makes us proud. It makes us the judge of scriptures. And he says, and not only be judges of scripture, they'll begin to scoff it. They'll mock it. This ancient ewe relevant book of folly these people follow because they won't stay up with the current times. Young people, that's a tool of the devil to trick you that you're stupid. It's also a tool of salesmen. They want you to feel like you're an absolute fool for not buying that car. How could you not buy it? I mean, I mean, because if you walk out feeling shame, you might be tempted more to guilt. The enemy works that way. And there's awesome car salesmen. Thank you for being who you are out there. But the enemy... His goal is to mock things and to make you feel foolish and stupid. Mockers will come. And what is a scoffer? One scholar said, someone who treats lightly what ought to be taken seriously. Can I ask you a quick question? Is there anywhere in your life that you're treating something lightly that you ought to take seriously? That you'll find out a few years from now that you should have taken more seriously? That's what a scoffer is. They almost mock. I know, mom, I'm fine. Leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. I don't need them boss telling me. Scoffers don't want to hear it. And see, what the Bible does is it will point out where we want our sinful desires to be fulfilled. And when someone's being told they can't do something, they go into anger, defense, and then they can even get to a point of mockery of it. Is there somewhere in your life where you're treating something lightly you ought to take more seriously? Maybe in your finances? Maybe in your diet? Maybe in your relationships? Maybe in your parenting? Maybe in the way you deal with other people? You've been taking it lightly, but you need to take it a little more sincerely. What do they say? Well, they say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing the way they were from beginning of creation. Nothing's ever changed. You Christians, you walk around, you believers, even back in Peter's day, you walk around like God's coming back. He hasn't come back yet. What makes you think he's going to come back? I mean, good grief. My grandpa was watching Jack Van Ippie his whole life. You know, and he's gone now. I mean, he's not coming back. You'll still hear it today. And Peter goes on to leverage an argument from wisdom that all of us know, all of us know and could probably complete. But, but let me pull up a sticky note and I'll challenge you to see if you know this argument from wisdom. Here it is. It begins like this. The best predictor of future behavior is, anybody think they know? The best predictor of what is going to happen is, now all the coaches in the room are like, oh, just let me talk. This is how I build strategy. The best predictor of future behavior is, I remember it was seventh grade, middle school football. Now, they don't care too much about whether your pads fit in middle school. And I remember getting my uniform, okay? And 
I had pads that were like out to here. I had lineman pads, I think, and I wanted to be, uh, everybody wants to be one of the skilled positions, but I had big old pads. My helmet didn't fit right, but I liked the bar on it. You know, kids, anybody playing green jacks or anything? I liked the, the face mask. Oh, that's cool face mask. I'll go with that, even though the helmet barely fit. Now, now I was still budding, let's say, and um, I had glasses under my helmet, okay, because I wasn't allowed to get contacts yet. That wasn't coming into my family. They didn't trust me with them. That was for sure. And so I'm out there, and this is my first real experience in a middle school football game, and I, was, I got on the special team, so I was fine with that. I was kind of newer to sports, okay, and I'm on the special teams, and in practice, it was blow the whistle. We charged down the field and either tagged the football to see who got there first or if it was a player we tagged, we wouldn't tackle and hit our own that much. And it was not ready for the first experience against a real enemy. I wasn't ready. But I looked it. And I lined up and the kicker went to kick and he kicked it and I started running down the field. Here comes the Heller Express. And I'm charging down that field and there's always one kid that mom's fed too much, right? In middle school, it's like, what is wrong? That, is he in our grade? There's always one. And for whatever reason, this kid got my assignment to take me out and I, I treated lightly what I should have taken more seriously. And I ran and I'm headed for him and I'm not even taking into account that there's gonna be somebody impeding my progress. And all of a sudden I ran into the great tribulation spoken of in Revelation. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm telling you, he hit me so hard. I don't even know what happened. I was flying through the air. The glasses were probably gone. The helmet was twisted. I'm laying on my back. I've got my air knocked out of me. So I'm going, <laughs> and he's over to me like, let's go. Mom, I play football to wear the jersey on Friday, not to go through this. I wanted all my friends to see me in the jersey. <laughs> my buddy, don't let him see you hurt. Get up. Next time, I'm going to know what to do. I'm going to run down the field. We didn't score till the second half. We weren't very good. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to run down the field. I'm going to stop. And he's going to fly by me. I'm going to be like tossing me like, let's go. Hut. I go run down and I stop. And he squared me up. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, no, oh, I can't. I, was, I went home questioning my life, <laughs> questioning whether I ever want to play again. And it wasn't until like the third game of the year where I realized if I get more aggressive, it's probably best. But I definitely learned this principle. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. If it happened once, Chris, change your plan. But know this, if he trucked you once, he's coming to truck you again. Peter says, listen, I want you to understand something about God. If he said he was gonna do something in the past and he did it, then if he says he's gonna do something in the future, he's gonna do it. They deliberately overlook this fact, he says, that the heavens existed long ago. They say nothing's ever changed, but they overlook. And the word is deliberately overlook. They forget purposely. Ladies, do you have a husband like that? He forgets purposefully. No, I don't want to get anybody in trouble. It's called selective hearing, right? But in this sense, the scoffers deliberately overlook that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water, Peter says, and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that existed was deluged and water with water and perished. He goes, did you not see that in the past, in the time of creation, 
that God created the world, one of the things he did was create with water. And he also destroyed with water. So he goes back to the beginning of the load. He talks about the time. And you'll notice scoffers always want to go back to the beginning. And you'll see this a lot. Young people, you see this in college a lot. They go back to the beginning. They want to question at the beginning. Because if they can get you thrown off at the beginning, they can really make it throughout the entire download. But God, in the beginning, he said, let there be an expanse in the middle of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse and so it was and God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning that day Peter says he started with water and he judged with water by the same means is this is what he did in the past he said he was going to judge the sin and he did it then what makes you think he won't do it in the future? So he continues, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist, let's go to the present. The same heavens and the same word that now exists are stored up for fire this time, not water. God sent the rainbow to say, I won't judge with that way again. But the same heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly being kept. You can circle that word. It comes from a root word that means set away, to be kept, stored up. We are 10 miles from Montgomeryville in this building right now. Do you know you're standing on a continent or a crust that's about 10 miles from lava and, and hot, 10,400 degree, 12,400 degrees fiery underneath? That's how far it is. That's not that very far. And, and, and Peter's saying this whole thing is stored up for fire. That's how God's going to judge sin on this earth. But do not overlook. Don't miss this. Get out a sticky note, if you will, and write this down. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Clearly figurative language to say God exists outside of time. And please understand those mockers who think just because God hasn't returned yet, that means he's not going to. He says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Why? Not wishing that anyone would perish, but that all would reach repentance. One of the reasons God is showing patience is so that people come to a saving knowledge of him one day is like a thousand. A thousand is like one day. God exists out of time. And the best way I could thought to illustrate that is to pull up our loading thing. And, and look at this. If we're in the present time and God's watching this, have you ever watched a YouTube video? I'm sure you have. You've been outside the time of that YouTube video. You saw when it starts and you saw how it's going to end. Some of you determine whether you're going to keep watching based on how long it's going to be. And for some of you watching it, it goes by really quick. And for some of you, it takes forever. But Peter says, I'm not worried about your perception of time. God's perception of time is what you think is taking forever. He goes, this is like one day. And his patience is so forbearing, for he wishes more people to hear the good news and accept it. He's patience towards us. He gives us a chance to store up more rewards even for that day. 
but he exists outside the time like he's watching something that will start and he knows how it will end. And nothing, Job says, can thwart the plan of God. Then Peter shifts to the future. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. We've looked into the past. If God created the world with water and he judged it with water, if he's being patient right now for he wishes salvation, what's gonna happen in the future? Peter says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Thieves don't go, hello, I'm here, unless they're like on world's dumbest robbers or something. Come suddenly, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, Peter says. There's a specific period of time. Most, most, uh, most people who study scriptures look at the time of a, the day of the Lord as a specific period, the day of the Lord. Talking about that time maybe from when Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel all the way through the burning of the present earth and the destruction that the world refers to as like the apocalypse. Peter says, and the heavenly bodies, more referring to the universe and all these things, will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth with the works that are done on it will be exposed. What's going on? Everything's going to get exposed. No more tricks, no more conspiracies. God's going to bring it all to light. It's going to get sun judged, and everything that's fake is going to be very obvious for all to see. Since all these things, he says, are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people, church, are you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Because you're waiting for the hastening and the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. There's a loading going on. And the way this ends is God judges sin on this earth most specifically during the time of the tribulation. And Peter says, don't sleep on this. Don't sleep on this. Wake up! This is going to happen. Yeah, but it hasn't happened in so long. But it will happen. And don't take lightly what must not be taken lightly. Don't scoff at this. It's gonna come and it's gonna come quick. It's as if the download was going real slow for some of you and boom, right to the end. And so Peter starts talking about this and I thought, you know, many of you traversed through Revelation with us in the seven series. I thought I'd do a brief overview of those last days and how we worked it out in the interpretation that we use as our church. It begins with a rapture. First Thessalonians talks about it. it. It comes out of nowhere. It's called imminent in scripture. It says this, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. One day the sun will rise on the last day and that it will be the beginning of the rapture, excuse me, not the last day, but the rapture with the voice of an archangel, so either Michael yells or Gabriel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God, that'll wake a few up, and the dead in Christ will rise first. He was comforting them. They, many of them were like, well, those who have died already, will they be a part of this, of this? He says, yes, they will. Then those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. That word comes from a Latin rapturo, which we get the word rapture. Caught up together with them in the clouds. The Lord doesn't come all the way to the ground like he does in the second coming. He meets his church in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, terrify one another with these words. Encourage one another, it says. 
And unfortunately, preachers have used that even to terrify. When it's encouraged, well, how come the rapture's encouraging? Why is it encouraging? Because I don't have to be here for all the garbage that comes after it. In our church, we hold to a pre-tribulation rapture because we believe it best explains scripture when it says in 1 Corinthians 1-7, he could return at any moment. We don't need this, 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 this to happen. He could return at any moment. There's an imminent return. We believe it best explains the removal of the church reference in Revelations 4 through 19. The book of Revelation, the church, the church, the church, all first four chapters. Then all of a sudden there's a calling up into the throne room. And from chapters 4 to 19, no mention of the church. And then another mention. And then we also think it best explains a reunion and a reward before an hour of testing. One of the rewards of scripture is to keep us from the hour of testing those who have overcome. We think it best explains that. And then also a reassurance that it's our blessed hope. I mean, why is it a blessed hope? Well, because I get worried about some of this stuff and I'd like to have some hope. Well, what happens after the rapture? Whoa, we're up in the air. I'm looking over like, what's up, Pastor Gabe? You know, all this stuff, we don't know. But we meet Jesus in the air and we're taken to the judgment seat of Christ, scripture tells me. In Romans, it says, why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you pass despise your brother for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God and before the judgment seat of God it seems that's the place where I get rewarded for faithfulness on earth and so during my bar if you will that I'm here this is the chance for me to get rewarded for faithful service for him I don't do faithful service because I have to I'll be rewarded for it someday I do it for my Lord It seems to be the place we're rewarded for living out the great commission. There are certain crowns for those who lived out that great commission and and shared the gospel on earth. It's the place of reward for victories over sin. When you accomplish in victory, take victory over something that's kind of out of hold on you. It seems to be that there is reward at that time at the judgment seat of Christ. There's a reward for a controlled tongue. Yeah, every man will give an account for every foolish word Spoken. Where do you give an account? At the judgment seat of Christ. So here's me. That means I should say some good words more than I say some discouraging words. And so I'm thinking, I want to load up encouraging words for that judgment seat of Christ. And is that maybe why the Hebrew author says, hey, encourage somebody while it's still called today. Scripture is constantly encouraging you to prepare for that day where you stand before Jesus to hear the well done, thy good and faithful servant. And that will be the place my Lord and my Savior gives me crowns, which Scripture tells me I'll throw back at them. I couldn't have done it without you, for apart from Christ, I can do nothing. What's going on in earth? I mean, if all the Christians are called up, what's going on in earth? Well, in my humble opinion, the United States with all the believers in it probably turned into a third world country overnight. Everybody's going to be crying and looking for a leader. They'll take anything. And scripture talks about this Antichrist, one of the most charismatic, unbelievable, powerful speakers, leaders, ever will take over and begin to reign. He'll lie to the Jewish people. He'll break a covenant with them three and a half years into a seven-year tribulation on earth where the demonic realm is unleashed onto the earth. We've been talking about Peter, how one of the angels or a few of the angels have been chained up in the abyss. One of them is released, the book of Revelation tells me. His name is Abaddon. He's released onto the earth. I also 
read, there's an antichrist with a deceitful reign. He has a fake of the Holy Spirit he calls the false prophet who does miraculous things. And he has a fake of God the Father, which is Satan himself. These characters make up an unholy trinity that will have great, great power. Angelic judgment is poured out on earth in seals, bowls, and trumpets, including horrific pain, boiling sores, waters turning to blood, a terrible time of judgment on sinful man. Revelation 6 says, now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals. It's the title deed to earth, seals on a scroll. Jesus is the lamb. He opened it and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, come. And I looked and behold a white horse and on his rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. Jesus is the only one who belongs on a white horse. This fake, the Antichrist, will conquer as a complete fraud of the real Jesus Christ. When he opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, Come! And another horse, bright red, its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that the people should slay one another, and it was given him a great sword. Incredible war. Revelation 6 says, When I opened the third seal, when he opened the third seal, I heard a living creature say, Come! And I looked and behold, a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. Economic collapse will become a mighty in the time of the great tribulation. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice from the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a pale horse and its rider's name was death and hell followed him. And they were given the authority over a fourth of the earth so to kill the sword with famine and pestilence and wild beasts of the earth. He looked at the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake and the sun became like black as sackcloth. Imagine the world without a sun. Terrifying. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as fig trees shed its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. What will be happening on earth? What will the president do? What will the kings do? What will the earth do? What will the leaders do of all of our societies? Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful, basically every scoffer, everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves and among rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, yelling, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand when they opened up the seventh seal there was silence in heaven for a half an hour and out poured the trumpets see Jesus came young people listen Jesus came as a suffering servant he let them beat him kill him and he rose again he is not coming back that way we joked in the revelation series but it's not a joke He's coming in and he's coming in hot. His eyes like fire, a sword from his mouth. And he's coming to destroy sin. The tribulation period, Revelation says, men will long to die and can't. But inside that, despite the armies of the Antichrist gathering at Megiddo, and Jesus coming on a white horse, the victor, with the church, I truly believe. 
reigning and preparing to reign in the millennial kingdom. There is 144,002 witnesses on earth evangelizing and people are still getting saved in the tribulation. Still getting saved. They're not part of the rapture, but they're still coming to know Christ. And they are the ones who make up a lot of what goes on in the millennial kingdom that Revelation speaks of occurring after this mighty war. See, a lot of people look at heaven as this one thing, but it seems to be a phase one, phase two, absolutely, to be apart from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. There is glorious heaven, but earth has a plan and it's still downloading. And one of those plans, it seems of scripture, especially in Revelation 20, that I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient servant of old, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that the might, he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So there's this time period on earth where the believers are there, but those of us in heaven with our glorified bodies, maybe being able to travel from Jerusalem to the earthly kingdom back and forth. We know we're reigning with him, scripture says, but it talks of a millennial kingdom and we preach and teach a literal millennial kingdom. One, because Zechariah prophecy says it's established on the Mount of Olives. The Jeremiah prophecy says the rain occurs in their homeland. The Daniel prophecy says it occurs under heaven. It's not this mystical thing. The second Samuel prophecy says it's an earthly kingdom. And then the revelation prophecy clearly lays out that it's a thousand years and doesn't speak in figurative language here, in my opinion, especially. And this millennial kingdom will go on for a thousand years. I've only lived a certain amount of years and I feel like I've been here forever, let alone a thousand years. What will it be like? Well, the millennial kingdom, we get a lot of the information about the millennial kingdom in the Isaiah prophecies. One, it'll be a time period of perfect peace here on earth. Isaiah 2.4, it's, 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 the, it's the time of refreshment, it's called. Things will be restored and brought back. Maybe everything will be called a re, I don't know. But it'll be a time of perfect peace, of his increase, the government peace, there'll be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. Jesus will be ruling on earth. I don't think you'll need CNN or Fox News. The news will be like, okay, Jesus and David made a ruling and it's awesome. Have a great day. I mean, this is insane. This is so awesome to read about the millennial kingdom that, that, that we hear that it was, has, it's a place of stunning well-being. Listen to what it says about the children. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy nation or holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover its sea. It's like a return to Eden, but don't think we're going to lose all the technology that we have. A lot of this stuff is sin cursed, but there'll be no sin thing on this, uh, this curse. It'll be lifted as we see a restoration of all things. There'll be zealous worship. Scripture says they'll gather, they'll have feasts. Those of us who have our glorified body will be able to eat and not worry about what happens. It'll be great. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him brings good news, Isaiah 52. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up your voice together. They sing for joy for I have seen the Lord, the return to Zion. Break forth together into singing. Oh, what a day. 
There'll be houses and dwellings. Scripture says it, it speaks of this time where, where, where they shall build houses, Isaiah 65, 21, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen will enjoy. A millennial kingdom, Satan bound, believers on earth having children. But would you believe it? Scripture says that even some of those children in the millennial kingdom, some don't come to Christ. Like what? Those with glorified bodies, those who have been raptured, those who are reigning, not them, but those who went through. And that's why at the end of the millennial kingdom, there's a great white throne judgment. The sea gives up the dead, those who are separated from God. In hell, this is the final judgment where Satan is thrown into the lake of fire at the great white throne where he'll spend all of eternity. And then scripture talks about a new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth. There's a city and it begins to descend onto earth. It's a cube. It's 1,500 miles wide. That's from here, Philadelphia to Dallas. That's how big the city is wide. It's a cube. So if you dropped it on earth, if that's one city, if that's the main city of heaven, this new heavens and new earth must be massive. It descends like a cube, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high. So either there is an awesome elevator system or you can fly. Maybe both. It talks about the 12 gates of the angels. This thing is guarded and seen by angelic beings. Jasper walls. Spare no expense and glory. It's built on jewels. It has streets of gold. There's a river of life that throws through the city, child of God, that you will one day walk down, maybe next to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee. Stop it. Oh, what a day of rejoicing it will be. It's a place of glorious light that's shining from the throne, this new heavens and new earth. And on top of that, Revelation lists five no mores. No more evil, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. You can listen to more of that if you go to our seven series in Revelation when we unpack the book of Revelation. And Peter says, based on all of what scripture gives us in prophecy, according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth. According to whose promise? According to his promise. If he said he was gonna do it in the past and he did it, if he says he's gonna do it in the present, he's gonna do it. And if he says he's gonna do it in the future, he's gonna do it. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Even so come, Amen. Even so come. Is it possible we are in the last days? Is it possible that we're getting close to the day that will be the day where we'll hear the trumpet sound? Are we getting close? Well, how should I live, Peter? He gives you five sticky notes. Watch this. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish. Be found at peace with God. Know him as your savior. Isn't it interesting that Peter is assuming we'll be alive even more reference to a possible rapture, that you'll be found at peace. 
and, and, and count it all the patience of the Lord as salvation. See, see God's patience as opportunity, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in these matters. See time as opportunity. I was talking to a brother in Christ who just witnessed to somebody. He said, hey, you never know how long or how many opportunities you'll have with a friend. And that person passed away this past month. He said, I'm so glad I shared. I don't know if they came to Christ, but at least I took the opportunity. Peter says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. The scripture is hard to understand. Don't fight with others. There's good, good Bible-believing believers that disagree on certain things. There's things that are hard to understand. But the ignorant, they, they take it unstable and they twist it to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Filter out twisted teachings, Peter says. This is how you ought to live if you think it's close to the end. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with error of lawless people and lose your own stability. He says, remain steadfast in the truth. And then our favorite verse in Peter for many of us. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. What a great two books. Where are you at? You know, I believe we've all been given a day when we start and a day when we finish. Scripture tells me the Lord has my days numbered. And I don't know where I'm at. Maybe I've lived most of my life. I don't know that. But I want to live in the light of eternity. And I want to hold on to the promise. Look at this. Hold on to the promise and hold tightly the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. You know, we've had this rope. I pulled it out quite a bit in this series. We've been talking about resolve. We've been saying, we want to resolve to try harder. We want to resolve to hold on tighter. And I've referenced this rope being like that of a ski rope up a mountain. It's powered and it pulls you. And you hold on and it takes you. And it pulls you forward. We say, we gotta hold on. Even when we are losing balance. Even when life hits us out of nowhere. We hold on to the promise. Even when people mock us and say, your Lord isn't returning. You guys are just a bunch of religious people using it as a crutch. You hold on. Because he who was faithful in the past, you can best believe, Peter says, will be faithful in the future. In our final minutes of our message, I want you to look at this rope differently right now. I want you to call it a timeline in your head. Let's let it represent our lives both on earth and in eternity. Would you take this rope mentally and make it go all the way around Follow, the, chair, follow the, the crown molding if you like. Go around 10 million times, could you? That'll be eternity. This is your time on earth. That's it. That's your time on earth. Peter says it's got to start and it's got to stop. And this is how God views all of eternity. God, how come you did? Hold up a second. What were you saying? In the great God of the universe, he loved me so much he died for me, even though this is me. Peter says, this is what you are, you're a vapor. James says, you're a vapor. Come and go. 
God loved me so much that he died for me. Even though that's my life in comparison to all of eternity. And God fulfills his promises before I was there and far beyond. I got you. Trust me. Now what folly is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? What folly to gain the whole world that's going to be burned up anyway and lose all of eternity. And if you're the devil, you know that. And you're trying to make sure we all think more about this little time than all of this. Peter says, don't you dare hold on to the promise that he who is faithful will remain faithful. If I say I'm coming back and I say how I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Are you here today and you're not sure if you're holding on to this rope? Pray with me as we close. Heavenly Father, I often think what sticky note I should leave on my desk for somebody who might show up the day after I've been raptured. I bet there's going to be some people knocking on the doors of our church wondering where we are. There may be some campers who had came to our power camp or elevate maybe even our day camp, and they remembered the message they heard here. And through their life, they got other voices and they chose to listen to them over the truth of scripture. And the days come. I wonder what I would put on my sticky note for them to read. I pray it would be something that would point them to the truth. For Lord, Knowing the terror of the end times, we persuade men, Paul reminded me. Knowing the terror of what will happen if you don't. So Lord, if there's anyone in here today, may they know that you love the world so much you gave your only begotten son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You tell us if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Who in here, Lord, needs to grab hold of the rope? You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to arrive. You don't have to have it all together. You just got to reach. You've got to hear the Lord call and grab hold and then grow in godliness, grow in your faith, grow in the truth and share the love of Jesus Christ. For scripture says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Lord, I pray for anyone who needs to do that. For a time of judgment on sin is coming. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Lord, I thank you for the promises given to those who have realized this, who have woken up and who've grabbed hold of the rope. Lord, give us the strength to hold on when everything around us says, let go. And for whoever's out there, whether they're watching TV by themselves or whether they're in the room and they want just some strength, may they stop trying and in turn, may they start trusting. A preacher? No. No, the promises of God. Thank you, Lord, for First and Second Peter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.